Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hi, everyone, and welcome to The Modesty Files. We're your host, Zoe and Miller, and we're diving into the world of Christian fundamentalism and interviewing women who left their churches. This week, we're continuing our Pride Month celebration series with another LGBTQA story. Today, we're speaking with Martina, a queer woman from Belgium who's going to share with us her unique experience with the Mormon church. After a traumatic incident as a teen, she encountered a group of Mormon missionaries, and her friendship with them turned into a slow boil of indoctrination into the church. And soon enough, the church convinced her that she, quote, struggled with same-sex attraction and that she could easily fall in love with a man. After a year of participating in Mormon practices and attempting to deny her sexuality, Martina decided on the day of her baptism that she needed to leave the Mormon church for good. Topics in this episode include mature adult themes, so listener discretion is advised. So it's time to strip that modesty cover, put on some comfy pants, and let's jump into this week's episode of The Modesty Files. I'm not ashamed of who I was, and I'm proud of who I will be. We're scared to open up, we're scared what people might think, but now I'm embracing my story, and I'm doing it all without the modesty. Hi, Martina! Hi. It's so great to have you here on The Modesty Files. It's nice to be here. I will say that Martina is rocking this amazing new hair color. The last time we (laughs) spoke, she had this like, it was already awesome, but now it's like this super colorful, like, like red purpley color. It's super fun and I love it. Me too. (laughs) It's scary. It's the first time I ever done something crazy to my hair. So I was like, I'm just going to do it. How did that feel? Because I'm about to dye my hair uh, on Thursday, actually. Like, I don't ever dye my hair. And I want to go, like, bright fire engine red. But I'm nervous to do it. Are you serious? Have we discussed this? I've been sending you the Pinterest pictures. Uh, I think we need to discuss this a little bit no, more. No, no. I want to do, like, ombre. <laughs> like, the bottom half of my hair to be, like, bright oh, fire so engine pretty. red. Yeah. See, Martina agrees with me, Miller. You should just do it. That's my <laughs> advice. I'm doing just it. Do it. Thanks. For me, it's like, once I did this to my hair... It's just all restrictions are gone. I'm just going for it. I'm going wild. <laughs> so also, I want to get a tattoo in the next like. I was month going or to say, so. is it similar? Like when yes. somebody gets a tattoo, they say like once you get the first one, you never yeah. want to stop. Yeah, I had that too. I have. I got my first tattoo when I was 21. No, 22. Uh-huh. I think it's just 
sort of the ownership you have over your body. It's like, it's your body, you're putting on it what you want. And it's just so cool to have something like, yeah, this is this is on my skin forever. So Martina, transitioning now to the Mormon church. The Mormons oh believe gosh. tattoos well, are forbidden. I was just going to say, yes. Mormons don't believe in tattoos or drinking no. or any smoking. type of drug, smoking, and, and also caffeine. Is Am I correct caffeine. with that? Yeah, you're right about that. They don't drink coffee. So I think this is actually a perfect transition, Martina, to finally talk about your experience in the Mormon church. So I'm wondering if you can kind of just give us a little overview of how an overview of your upbringing growing up and then how eventually that led you to the Mormon community when you were in college. Well, my youth was, I would just say like, normal really because there was nothing like we're going on I just had a family and we were catholic but not like very strictly we just went to church sometimes i was in the kids choir and it was just nice and fun we weren't like hardcore religious at all my mom and dad wanted to teach us something were you the priesters christmas and easter catholics no we went a little bit more often oh, okay gotcha it's a gotcha. nice term by the way i don't know it oh Oh, that's super used over in America. Oh, I've never heard of I it. I mean, we're pretty Catholic, but over the last couple of years, it's especially like the only time we really go to church is like Christmas and Easter, or if Jenna and I have a, a gig, like a video gig for the church. <laughs> anyway, Don't about funerals. Oh, yeah. We Please. go to funerals quite often. <laughs> My mom never wanted to be those people, so she made us go more often. <laughs> but I was in a kids' choir, so I was there basically every week, but it was like a very, like, nice and funny and upbeat church it wasn't at all like the you know like the guilt tripping things that i sometimes hear about catholic churches it wasn't like that at all it was just hot nice like oh jesus is good god loves you and sing nice happy songs and we're catholic and it's all good yeah i'd say just a normal average childhood really until i was 17 the job i had at a gas station the gas station got robbed when i was at work oh my goodness it was very scary. It was just, uh, I was just at work uh, and there was just this guy pulling a gun on me. You were 17? Yeah, 17. Yeah. It's been almost 10 years. It's been eight years. I did a great deal of therapy to talk about this casually. You know, I was scared and, and angry and, you know, traumatized. And uh, yeah. And also the footage of the robbery was on the local news for like six months. So every time... I was constantly confronted with this, like me standing there and like giving that guy the money and seeing, seeing the scene over and over and over again. So it was really hard to move past that at first because I was constantly just thrown back into it. It's very traumatizing. Definitely. How did that traumatizing event affect the rest of your like teenage years into like your 20s? Yeah, I felt very like alone. But first I felt like ashamed, sort of, like that I sort of let that happen, I think. And then I just got, I got angry, like, just like, like, you know, who, why does he think you have the right to just do this to me? And I was just angry and moody and like, looking back, I realized it was all just, you know, the trauma doing this to me. And yeah, I talked to a psychologist and I was just so angry all the time. And I felt like scared all the time. And my family, they really tried to help me through this, but. They didn't really know what to do. So I think after maybe a year or something, it was just everything was so tense because my parents were trying and I was trying, but it just we weren't trying and in the same way. 
they were they were trying to help me and just like kept reassuring me with oh you're safe now and you know mm-hmm. you're safe and I was like yeah but you know I thought I was safe there like I don't want to discredit them because I really they really tried but they didn't know how to because I don't think this is something you prepare for as a parent ever and I think people hoped and maybe expected but I think mostly hoped for everything just to go back to the way it was before and for me that wasn't really an option anymore. So I sort of like this discrepancy between what was possible and what people wanted and what people hoped for. And I came to terms with the fact that it's never going to be like that, I think, way earlier than my family. So that caused tensions. We know it's not easy to talk about. So thank you for having the courage to share that with us. Yeah. So Martina, we know you grew up Catholic and you were raised Catholic. I'm wondering... How did you first initially get introduced to the Mormon church? And when was that in your life? It was about 2021. And it was actually a complete coincidence. I met them at a bus stop. And I saw them wearing name tags because all the missionaries wear name tags. Uh If you're a man, you go by elder, your last name. And if you're a girl, you go by sister, your last name. And then it says like Church of the Latter-day Saints underneath that. So I knew one girl from one of my lectures who was in the Mormon church. So I said like, hey, like I recognize your name tags or nice name tags or something. And they said, oh, well, thank you. And we just went on with our day. And then a few weeks later, I ran into them again at Starbucks. I was there with my coffee looking like, oh, where where do I sit? It's actually fuller than I expected it to be. So they said like, hey, they recognized me and they said, oh, Martina, you know, come sit down with us and come sit here because we have a chair. I was like, yeah, okay. And then they just said like, well, what do you know about our church? And I said, well, nothing. And they said, do you want to know? And I was like, sure, because I thought it was interesting because I didn't know what they believed and how their church worked. So it was very well, I'm not going to say academic interest, but... A curiosity. Yeah, just yeah. I'm very curious. And that's, yeah, that's how it started. And then afterwards, they said, like, well, would you like to know more? And then we set a date to talk again next week, and then the next week, and then the next week. I'm wondering, Martina, if you can walk us through some of the beliefs that you were learning as you were being indoctrinated in the Mormon church. They believe that an angel Mormon, uh, that's where the name comes from, gave Joseph Smith the golden plates, but he couldn't read or write at the time. And they totally used this as an excuse of, see, this is why it had to be true, because he had no incentive to lie. He was just a poor farmer boy. Why would he lie about this? It has to be true. And no one could ever see these golden plates. No one ever saw them except Joseph Smith, Joseph Smith allegedly. Mm. He believed that there are three levels of heaven. The first one is celestial, and then you have terrestrial and something else, and you have like dark outer space. And if you are Mormon and you're good, you get to like the highest tier of heaven, like where you will meet Jesus and God, and you will become a little bit God, but also not entirely because you're not God. They have so much like lore in their religion. It sounds like a fantasy novel. It does. It really yeah. does. And then you have like the middle level is basically. So let's say you were never introduced to the Mormon church in your life. And then after you die, you get sort of into that middle level. And then after you die, a Mormon can get baptized on your behalf. That's actually a thing that's really encouraged 
they get baptized on behalf of deceased people in real life. Like an actual Mormon people, like you might get baptized on behalf of the deceased. And then they in the afterlife have a choice of accepting the baptism or not. And if they accept it, they will stay in there. I think they first go to limbo and then they go to like the second tier of heaven. And then the third tier, it's still heaven, but it's like the less, the lesser variety of heaven is for sinners or people who said, oh, I don't believe in the Mormon church. Is this the same heaven as Christianity and the same God? Sort of, but like split it into three levels. Okay. <laughs> they totally believe in like a Christian God. They call themselves Christians and they also believe in, in Jesus. And th they also have a concept of hell, which is called outer space or the outer dark space or something. I don't entirely remember. And not a lot of people go there. The only people that go there are people who know that the Mormon church is the true church, but still reject it. That's like hell. That's where Satan is, that where Satan's demons and all his buddies are. And very few humans will actually go there. Only the people who know that the Mormon church is true because they had testimonies or, you know, the Holy Ghost came to them, but they still reject it. Then you go to outer darkness. You can visit down. Like if you're in the top level of heaven, you can visit like your buddies who are in the other levels. But if you're in the lower level, you can go up to visit your buddies that are above you. Hey, bro, you got to come down to me today because I can't really <laughs> come up to you. I'm always yeah. going down to you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Where are we meeting? You know, at my level? Okay. And they also believe in sealing, like where you seal yourself to other people so that you are together in heaven. And especially marriages are sealed. Parents can be sealed to their children. So ideally, I think everyone would be sealed to their family, like to their, to their siblings, to their parents. And I think as, as long as the parents get a sealed marriage, then children born into that sealed marriage are automatically sealed to them. But if you join the church later on, when you already have children, then you would need a different sealing ceremony. Is this similar to celestial marriage? Yeah, this, that, that, that's the same thing. Oh, is that what this is? Okay. That's the same thing. The sealing makes your marriage a celestial marriage. If you all get sealed, then you will be married in the celestial kingdom. Gotcha. But the regular Mormon church, the Latter-day Saints, they do not uh, practice polygamy anymore. Only the fundamentalist branch of Mormonism does that. I'm just wondering, so in addition to like biblical doctrine that you are being introduced to, what are some of the, I guess I'll call it like lifestyle practices that they enforce? I know that we talked already about no tattoos, no drinking, no caffeine. Like what else were they teaching you to implement in your lifestyle? Yeah, they were very strict on the no drinking, no alcohol, no caffeine, no drugs, no smoking. And actually, they've always had this in their in their doctrine. So even like back in the days, like when smoking was considered normal, when drinking was considered normal, even back then they said, no, we're not doing this because God or the angel told Joseph Smith that it was unhealthy. So, of course, like in the, I think, 70s and 80s, when it came to light that smoking was actually very harmful, the entirety of the church was like, I mean, yeah, of course, we already knew this because, you know, it's in our doctrine. Like, of course, we're right. Joseph Smith predicted. Exactly. He knew, he knew okay. God this to him before science could. So why do you think the Mormon church was so against these different types of substances? I don't know why they were 
they're so against it. I think it has to do with it's sort of, you know, cloud your judgment. Like, you know, alcohol makes you intoxicated, same with drugs. And a lot of religions actually have prohibited alcohol or, or drugs. So I think it's just why exactly? I don't know. I just know that they took it one step further and also forbid caffeine. And what other ideas were the missionaries sharing with you? First thing was the the basic things like the Joseph Smith story. This very introductory Joseph Smith, this is what we believe. We're on our mission because that's they told they told me about that too. As for boys, it's mandatory to go on a two-year mission. And for girls, well, they can choose to or choose not to. And it's about a year to one and a half year. And you get picked to go to a country. Uh, you don't know which country. And then you learn the language. And you get sent there. And in all the, that time that you're on your mission, you're never alone. You have a partner. You have a partner always with you. You sleep in the same room. And I remember thinking like, oh, that's intense because I like people, but I like my privacy. Yeah, yeah. And and what are you expected to do on these missions? You're expected to, well, have a servant's heart, basically, to volunteer in church, babysit, maybe spread the word. Sometimes like when when there was a new sister or elder uh, coming on mission, they would get in front of the church and share their story and and sometimes they organized afternoon things or potlucks or whatever. And so the people that you met at the Starbucks were on their mission in your country. Yes. And where were they coming from? They were American. All of the missionaries I met were American. So where would you meet then when you were introduced to these to the Mormon missionaries? Where would they invite you to come and hang out? At first, it was just like a coffee shop or just a park, just anywhere, really, because I was hesitant to invite them to my home at first. Um, But after we started for a really long time and after a few months, I was like, yeah, well, okay, I trust these people enough to invite them over because I know that. And by this time, I also, well, I had stopped not believing it. I didn't believe it, but I stopped not believing it. So let me ask you then, just to kind of get like a global view of your beliefs. We know you were raised Catholic, but what were your beliefs before you met the Mormon missionaries? And then how did eventually you transition to believing the Mormon doctrine? As a teenager, I had a snarky atheist phase, like, uh, you know, like, Oh, God doesn't exist. And, you know, I'm too smart to believe in God because I believe in science. But by the time I met them, I had luckily moved on from that. I was sort of like, well, you know, I don't really believe in God, but you can't prove a negative. So, you know, you never know. Okay. A little agnostic. Yeah, definitely agnostic. And then actually when sort of when the door opened a little for me to believing in in their doctrine was actually that they do not allow smoking or drinking because I don't smoke and I don't drink and that because I like to take care of my body and I think that's bad for you. Uh, And so I've made a choice not to do that. Even, you know, when it became legal for me to actually smoke or drink, I made a decision to not do that. And that's actually when I thought, well, you know, that's that's a good point. (laughs) And then I thought, well, you know, if they have one point, maybe they have two points or three or four. Interesting. I can pinpoint it to that that thing where I sort of stopped being skeptical. Yeah. And I think that's super common in fundamentalist religious groups where you have the hook of 
one issue that someone can latch onto very strongly. And then all the other doctrine kind of seeps in after that. I, and I think that every cult does this. They just throw a bunch of different stuff at you and see what sticks and then go from there. So how did you feel when you were being introduced to this new faith? What was your experience like with your emotions? At first, I was I didn't really feel anything because I was I thought I was just, you know, learning more about them, but not getting involved. And then after a few months, they actually asked me like, hey, do you want to come to, you know, an actual service with us? And I said, well, you know, that that might be interesting And coming there really like made me so emotional because everyone is they were so nice so kind so friendly and like they were so interested in me and they all was like you know like grab my hand and like you know squeeze them all they didn't like oh welcome and you know we welcome you here and we're so happy you're here we're so proud of you that you're here and i was like what is it is it's love bombing it is but back then i didn't realize because it feels, it feels very nice to be love-bombed. They're really good at it. Of course it does. Everybody loves to feel loved. And when you have yeah. an overwhelming amount of people loving you, I mean, that's, that's an emotional high right there. Yeah, and I think because I'd been so lonely for so long, it just sort of hit me harder. Because I, I had felt like so alone. I had felt like I had no community and no one that understood me. Like everyone I knew was sort of still expecting me to go back to someone I was before. And, but they didn't knew me before. So they only knew me as I was then. So I think that also helped just being introduced to a whole new community of people that didn't, that I didn't feel had expectations of me to change. It was a clean slate. Exactly. Did you open up to anyone in the church about your your history or past of anything that happened to you? After some time, I did tell them like, yeah, something traumatic happened to me, you know, and that really caused me to be hurt. And they said, oh, well, you know, we can we can pray about it. And also, you know, everyone in church was so kind and so welcoming and so understanding. And they were like, oh, we're so proud of you for overcoming this. And like, oh, God is God never uh, gives you more than you can handle. That's a thing that they say a lot, like God never puts more struggle and hardship in your life than he knows you can handle. So they were like, well, it just, you know, it just goes to show that God thinks you're very strong. Otherwise, he wouldn't have put this in your in your life. And back then, I, I think I started to believe it. I was like, yeah, you know, because I, I was like, it's nice to have these people say that I'm strong for you know, moving on from this. I was like, yeah, I am strong. And, you know, like, you know, maybe, maybe, yeah, maybe it's right. Maybe it's true. I was just wondering if like the people that like your family and the people that knew you really well before you got into the Mormon church, if they started seeing changes in you. Yeah, my mom definitely did. She noticed that I was happier. And I remember that she and my dad uh, asked me like, hey, like what's going on? Like, are you seeing someone because you're more cheerful? And I was like, no, I'm going to church. And my mom was like, you go to church? Like, why? And I was like, well, you know, because it helps me. And my mom was like, okay, you do you. Did they know it was the Mormon church? No, they didn't at first. I just said church. I just said I I gotten back into religion. I, I'm going to church every Sunday. And she was like, okay, well, I'm surprised, but all right. 
that the Mormon church has a very, it has the reputation of being a cult. And even if you don't know anything about the Mormon church, the first thing that if you're like, oh, do you know about the Mormon church? Someone is likely going to be like, that's a cult. That's actually what my mom said when I told her it was, she was like, what church is it? And I was like, the Mormon church. She was like, isn't that a cult? And I was like, no, it's not. You don't understand. It's not a cult. I got really defensive back then. And I also think that is sort of what helped me get more deeper in there that someone accused the people who I had become very fond of, of being a, a cult. And I was like, no, they're just nice. You don't understand. And I think this is the same principle that the Jehovah's Witnesses use to send people to doors because then people are mean to them. And then they come back with a sense of us versus them. And I think my mom unknowingly did the same by asking, isn't that a cult? And so I think they were afraid, you know, after the robbery. So they sort of just let me do it. And I also think they were like, well, it's a church, right? How bad can church be for a child? Yeah. So I want to ask, what ways were you engaging with the Mormon community at this point? How active was your participation? At this point, I think I went to church on a regular basis. I think I every week, maybe once every other week. And they have a they have like a service in the morning from 10 to maybe 12 max. And afterwards, sometimes you stick around or they have a women's group or Bible study or something else going on. So it's not uncommon for some people to stick around like the entire day. You're really active in this community. Yeah, still sort of as a bystander, like I was still an outsider, I think, but I was getting pretty involved. Were you noticing any changes in your behavior at this time as you were becoming more indoctrinated? Yeah, I'd stopped drinking coffee and I started to wear um, skirts and dresses to church because they, they didn't ask it of me per se, but while well, they, the missionaries made it clear that it was preferred and almost everyone else did it. I had like one dress and I was like, okay, I can go out and buy a skirt or a dress. That's, that's no biggie. So how long were you kind of acting as a bystander, starting to transition into Mormon beliefs? How long was that span in your life until you were really kind of deciding to like, yeah, I'm a Mormon. I am dedicating, you know, my life to Mormonism. It was months. I think it was around a year. You know, I was skeptical and a lot of things like when they told me about their three tiers of heaven, I was like, hold up, like for real. I was very critical. I was like, really? Like some things like the no caffeine. I was like, okay, but three tiers of heaven. Come on, guys. Yeah, but they I think missionaries are trained how to counter rational arguments with doctrine answers. They're trained for that. They told me they are trained for this sort of questions. <laughs> Ryan here and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? 
I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At ChumbaCasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BDW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Martina, you were initially critical of some of the doctrine that the Mormon missionaries were sharing with you. So I'm wondering. If there were any other things that you were critical of and how did the missionaries justify it? Well, I was, of course, critical of the racism that is inherent in their doctrine I was critical of the homophobia that is in their doctrine. I think also the ableism a bit, but that doesn't come out as much as the racism. Martina, can we back up actually? Because I'm not familiar with any of how these are integrated in their doctrine. What is what does racism look like? What does homophobia look like? What are they preaching? Well, they believe that Native American people they are cursed by God and they are an exiled tribe from the tribes of Israel that were exiled to America and they have become the Native American nations. And it's their job as Mormons to basically breed with them and make them white and pure again. What? And when they told me this, I was like, hold up, like for real. And they were like, yeah. And I was like, what? is this written in Joseph Smith's book? Uh, literally, like literal. So the Mormon's purpose is to intermarry and interbreed with the Native Americans so the Native Americans slowly die out as a whole and they all slowly become white. Whoa! Yeah. Okay. No Did wonder not- you were skeptical. It makes me wonder why Native Americans are targeted. Like, do they want to rid the country of all other races as well? They're not violent per se. They're, they have these very weird thing that they are anti-fascist, you know, which is a good thing, but also they do adhere to a lot of the things that alt-right and white supremacists think, but they're not, they don't want to kill everyone because they, they sort of have like the huge white savior complex, like huge. Wow. So they, okay. So what, what else in addition to this, what other things are they teaching you? Uh, until like the 70s, black people couldn't hold positions of power. 
in their churches. Like a literal quote is basically that the Latter-day Saints, as they call themselves, they shall be a white and the lightsome people. Implying that only white people can be Latter-day Saints. Yeah. Well, what happened in the 70s that changed that? I think just more social awareness, really. Because there is there is a, a large black community in the Mormon church. Mm-hmm. They're very big in Africa. They have started to go to multiple African countries and um, spread their religion there. Probably due to the, the missionary work. Definitely. It's all the missionary work. You mentioned homophobia. What are they teaching in that area? Well, as many churches do, they believe that it's a sin and that it's forbidden. And they're very big on the love the sinner, hate the sin spiel. So they are open to loving gay people, but not the As long sin. as you don't act on them, act on your feelings. Oh, okay. Did you see any of this firsthand? I did, yeah. Um, multiple times, actually. I also told them because, you know, I'm... I'm queer. I don't usually like men. So I told them and they were like, well, this is exactly the thing that God puts in your life for you to overcome. And I remember being like, well, what? But the idea of God putting struggle in your life to overcome that, that wasn't okay with me back then. But I didn't believe that God would like make people gay, but also be against it. So I proposed to them. I said, well, what if God makes people gay or trans to not to have to struggle be that they're gay or trans, but that the struggle is how the people in the world react to them. What if that's the struggle? What if the struggle is the homophobia you encounter? What if the struggle is the transphobia you encounter? They were like, no, they shut it down immediately. Said it's very clear in the doctrine that it's forbidden. No, that's wrong. Well, what was it like for you as a queer person, though, finding this out? Yeah, I I knew, sort of, because I know that most churches are against, you know, gay people. That's That wasn't a new thing for me. I knew this going in. And I think I really put off coming up to them because I was out to my family and my friends, basically. But it was never a big deal because I was never dating anyone. I realized when I was 14, 15, 16, like, oh, I'm not really into men. Not often. Like, I did have a crush when I was younger on another guy, but usually whenever I see someone attractive, that's that's not a man. <laughs> I use the label pansexual most of the time. It's sort of everything, but I have a preference for not men. <laughs> so I, I went in and it was sort of easy to hide, I think, because I wasn't dating. So... There wasn't like anybody that I had to hide. And they really encouraged marrying young. So I think like, you know, you're ideally in your teens, you find the one and then you marry and you get a bunch of kids. Uh, So for me, I like it wasn't that I wanted that, but I also didn't not want it. I was like, well, you know, if this happens then it happens. And when I told them that, you know, I actually also suffer, you know, with air quotes from same sex attraction. They were like, well, actually, we know someone who also did, who used to. Let me introduce you to her. She described herself, and this is a literal quote, as a bisexual or lesbian or whatever. But she used to be that. Oh, so she just said, like, I used to be bisexual or lesbian or whatever. Or whatever. Yeah. That's literally what she said. Mm-hmm. She was married to a man now and they seemed happy. You know, she was nice. So there's your success story. Yeah. And I remember 
thinking like, well, you know, if I find a nice guy, then sure, why not? What was it like for you once you came out to your elders in the Mormon church? Um, I never officially came out to like the entire church or to the elders. I um, just sort of casually told the missionaries I was talking to that I also, you know, experienced same-sex attraction. And that's actually after I came out to them, they took me to that woman who was a lesbian or bisexual or whatever, but wasn't anymore. So after meeting this woman, did that start to change how you yourself viewed your own sexuality? Not really. It just, she explained to me that, you know, she experienced attraction to other women and that she had uh, put that on hold and redirected that energy into the church and that she was now happily married to a man. And I remember being like, well, you know, happy for you because she seemed happy with her husband and they were talking about how nice it is to have a home together and to run a house and to, they were thinking about maybe having a baby soon. So they just, you know, he seemed nice and kind and, I remember, well, I think if you're not like explicitly gay or lesbian, then it's easier to pretend you're straight. I think that if you like men and women, you can usually just ignore one half, easier just ignore one half of that than, you know, to be with someone of a gender that you do not feel attracted to at all. How did that influence your approach towards relationships then at that point? I became more determined, I think, to like a man. I knew I was never going to stop liking women. I was like, I can never. But I was like, well, you know, I've liked one boy before and I can do it again. Oh, okay. So I think I tried really hard and it was actually at this time that a guy from church came back from his mission and he was, you know, welcome back. And we started sort of started talking and he was he was nice and he was friendly. I mean he was very well, I don't want to say non-manly, because you know he identifies as a man, but he was not your traditional burly, manly, strong man. And that's I think what really attracted me in him in the first place. You know, we started talking a lot and then at some point, I think everyone sort of expected us to start dating. So we sort of went along with that because we were just, you know, I, I figured if I have to like a man, it might as well be him. Okay. Okay. Because we were, we were just friends. I think we were becoming good friends. And I was like, well, if it has to be someone. It might as well it be might him. Be, yeah, it might as well yeah. be him. And so we sort of were like, well, okay. <laughs> Was it romantic dating going on or really just friends hanging out? Sort of in between because we were never alone. It was always in the setting of with someone from church or with the missionaries or in church or after church. Because you can't really meet one-on-one because, you know, what might happen? What might happen? Well, you might have premarital sex. And that's You can't have that. Can't do that. So it was always with someone else. Like I might invite the sister missionaries over and then I'd invite him too. Or we would meet after church or before church or in church, whatever. I think people just really saw us together a lot and they just figured, well, you know, a match. And both of us were like, okay, sure, <laughs> fine. I think we were very much in love with being in love like we were trying to make ourselves in love with each other because i think we both felt that pressure to find someone and to you know get married young and we never 
you know, we're officially engaged or anything, but we did talk about, well, you know, what do you see for the future? And we were like, well, you know, marriage at some point. And we were like, yeah, yeah, marriage at some point. Yeah, yeah. To each other? I mean, at this point, I was like, yeah, why, why not? You know, <laughs> if I have to marry someone, if I have to marry a man, might as well be a nice one. This this whole process took about, I think, six months. And it wasn't, I was never in love with him. And I wasn't, you know, I, we were never officially engaged or like, I think everyone sort of expected us to get married. And we sort of were happy to just let people think that and maybe in the future get married, but not, we weren't in a hurry, even though there was a lot of pressure from people in the church that they all marry very young. We never did actually like move forward we were just like, you know, holding hands and like sitting next to each other. And, you know, some of the missionaries were very young and, you know, they were just 18 and they would like giggle a bit, you know, and oh yeah, sometimes they would like, oh, you know, uh, I'll leave you two alone. And then we would be in the hallway like, yeah, maybe we should kiss. And then, you know, we kissed, but like very briefly, we was, we were really trying and they were all like hyping it up and we were like, Everyone was hyping it up for us, so we didn't have to do anything. Wondering, you were kind of like pseudo-dating your friend for like six months. How did you eventually, I guess, break up or end the relationship? What did that look like? Well, that was actually uh, on the same day when I decided not to get baptized. Um, Oh, so should we go back to your baptism? Okay, so yeah. let's go back. I, I So at this point, you are still kind of a bystander, but you have friends, you go to church often, and you're not baptized. But I'm, I'm wondering, was the church encouraging you to become baptized in the church? And what did baptism mean at, in the Mormon church? Well, when you get baptized, you basically formalize your ties to the Mormon church. It's also when uh, you're supposed to start to pay tithing, which is one-tenth of your income. You're supposed to give that to the church. One-tenth? Um, one-tenth, yeah. Like per month or? Yeah, just of all your money. Every All the money that you earn, one-tenth of that 10% goes to the Mormon church. After you're baptized. I think it's encouraged. One of the missionaries told me that she remembers giving 10% of like the money, her parent of her allowance to the church. She didn't have to, but she like, she remembered that fondly. Like, oh, I remember like, you know, when I was little and I first learned about tithing, I was so excited to give 10% of my allowance to the church. I felt so grown up and I felt, it felt so good to do that. And I was like, girl, I'm living paycheck to paycheck. I can miss 10% of my income. Because I'm going to have to cut it out of my groceries. (laughs) Yeah, that sounds very high. Well, I told them I raised concerns because I was living paycheck to paycheck. So I said, well, I can't exactly afford it. And they were like, no, God will provide. And I was like, is God going to pay my rent? (laughs) But they said, no, no, like, uh, you know, uh, God will find a way. It will, it will, like, it will be fixed. And I was like, how is the church going to give me food? So they were trying to convince you that it's okay, you need to tithe because even if you're losing money, like, don't worry, oh, God will be able to help you. Yeah, it's something that you have to do. And I think technically you could get away with not paying your tithing, but I think you have to clear it with your bishop and he would come ask, like, why are you not paying? Are you sure you can pay? Like, what can you pay? Maybe you can't pay 10%, but can you pay 5%? Oh, is negotiable. And... 
I think at the end, I just saw it as a necessary evil. Like I just wanted to belong with this community, with these people. And I was like, fine, you know, if that's the cost of it, then I'll pay whatever I can miss every month until I have a, a better income. They asked, like, you know, well, how do you see your future in the church? Do you want to get baptized? And at first I was like, well, I'm not sure. It's a big commitment. And they were like, okay, well, what are your doubts? Let, let us take them away. And it was actually like a random guy that didn't even know me that took my doubts away. Because one time I was staying over at my parents' house and I still wanted to go to church. So I went to a different church and the people there didn't know me. I just came in and they treated me like one of them. And then afterwards I started talking with these people, with these missionaries. And they asked me like, oh, are you a member? And I said, no, not yet. And then this guy, like he heard me and he was very friendly. He was and he very like fatherly sort of struck up a conversation with me. And he was like, well, you know, you're on the right path. Like, I'm, like, I can see like in your voice and in your eyes that you have found God and you've heard the Holy Ghost and he really came to you and you're on the right way. And I'm sure like in five years, we'll see each other again and you'll be here with your beautiful family and all will be well. Just like he laid his hand on my shoulder, like on a fatherly way. And he was like, you know, I'm sure of it. And I remember being like, this man, he sees me, like he gets oh. me. Oh, yes. He made you really feel very secure. He was very kind and very welcoming. And that's when I felt like, okay, I'm ready. That's when we started planning my baptism. Oh. Yeah. So we set a date and then I was just going to go through with it and everything. And then the day of, I was in the bus on my way there and I had like a moment of clarity. It was like, you know, on a sunny day when like a ray of sunshine like cast over the street or something it was like that and i just looked at the window and i thought to myself like you're joining a cult you're going to join a cult you realized and i was like i can't i can't join a cult what i'm about to join a cult was that the first time you ever used the word cult associated with the mormon church since i had started talking to them yeah i think so you know like what they say about like you know when you put a crab or a frog in boiling water it jumps out so you have to heat up the water so they stay in and by the time they realize that the water is boiling, it's too late and they're dead already or they're dying. It was like that. Like they don't immediately throw the heavy religious stuff at you. They warm it up with the, we don't drink tea. We don't drink caffeine. We dress modestly. It was, it's pretty much like a slow boil. They yeah. are slowly raising the temperature of the water so that you don't notice that eventually you're going to be in boiling water and it's, you know, it's it's going to catch up to you. Yeah. What do you think about that moment on the bus made you realize, oh, God, I'm going to join a cult? What were some of the things that you were thinking about that finally made you realize that? You know, like that feeling like maybe like as a child or maybe as an adult, because I'm a risk taker, like you went up something and like you, you climbed in a tree and then it's exciting. It's exciting. And then. You look down and you realize, oh, I'm really high. Like that realization that you are too far out of your deck. It was like that. And then I realized, oh, shit, no. Like like the adrenaline got up and I was like, oh, I have to get back. I have to undo this. I have to not join this. So basically, I texted them. I texted the missionaries and the people involved. I texted them, I have to change my mind. I don't want to join the church. I've, I've, I've just changed my mind. And I just took the bus back home and I blocked all their numbers they tried to call me, so I just blocked their numbers. I was like, I'm not going to talk to them again because they might succeed in trying to get me to join anyway. So I just 
blocked their numbers and never spoke to them again. I ghosted them, basically. And did you stay in contact with the person you were dating? Yeah, I actually, we were in contact a little bit, like a, a month, maybe two afterwards. And uh, he said, like, well, you know, do you want to talk about what happened? And I said, well, you know, I just realized that this isn't it for me. But I do hope, like, you know, that you're happy. And he said, well, I hope that you're happy and that you have a great life. And I said, well, yeah, you know, same to you. And that was it, actually. I expressed that I felt sorry, you know, for leaving him. And he was like, well, you know, I was sad. But at the same time, if this is not for you, then it's not for you. So he harbored no angry feelings towards me, which I was that made that made me feel less guilty. Parts? O'Reilly Auto Parts has parts. Need them fast? We've got fast. No matter what you need, we have thousands of professional parts people doing their part to make sure you have it. Product availability. Just one part that makes O'Reilly stand apart. The professional parts people. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. So after you decided not to get baptized, I'm wondering what was the fallout? Like, how did your church community respond? I blocked their phone numbers. They tried calling me from a different number. I said, you know, I don't want to get baptized. Please do not contact me again. And they never did. Wow. (laughs) Yeah. So I just, you know, I didn't tell my parents a whole lot about this. I remember my dad being like, well, uh, you know, it's Sunday. Why are you, why are you here? Shouldn't you be in church? I said, no, I don't go to church anymore. And he was like, oh, okay. So I never told them that I was going to get baptized or etc. I just told them once that I went to church to the Mormon church and they were like, okay. And what about your emotional well-being at this point? It seems like you were able to just click that light switch off and, you know, leave everything that you had just spent the last year, like, being indoctrinated in. I think it was easier for me because it was only a year and not a lifetime. Because I still had a life to go back to. And I think that it's harder if you are you know, born and raised into a fundamentalist or a cultish religion, because then you have, you have nothing outside of that. And I still had my, my friends and my family, so I could just go back to them. So yeah, emotionally, it was weird because I didn't miss it. Like I missed the community and their kindness and their niceness and just them all being so welcoming. And I really had to tell myself time over time, like that was love bombing, like, was it's what they're trained to do. I just have to had to keep telling myself that, that that's that's called love bombing. It's indoctrination. And that helped just being able to to see it for what it was. How do you feel when you look back at your experience with the Mormon church? How do you feel now, almost a couple of years after after processing everything? How do you look back on it? At first I was very ashamed. Like that I was stupid enough to fall for it. 
but I started reading up on cults and it's just literally what they're, what they train people for. It has nothing to do with like your intelligence or being stupid or not. They indoctrinate everyone basically. And I think I was already very vulnerable because I, you know, was traumatized and I felt so lonely and that made me more susceptible to their indoctrination. I got weirdly defensive whenever someone talked to me like, hey, didn't you go to church? I was like, no, I did not. They're stupid. I didn't want people to think of me, you know, like like some sheep that just fell into the trap. And then I got angry. Like, how dare they do this to people? How dare they evangelize the whole world and bring their shitty doctrine all over to everyone's doorstep? And, you know, I got out, but plenty of people didn't. And it's just a very, it's so abusive to send 18-year-old kids on a mission for two years and have them never be alone. Like, multiple people, even people who are still in the church, I think, have spoken up about this, that it's very hard to not be alone. You cannot be yourself. You have to be an elder or a sister. You have to be helpful and grateful and kind and friendly. Your whole life, you're literally being like you're a servant, basically, to the church. That's abusive to some extent, I think. So now that it's been almost three and a half years later, where are you now with faith? And where? how has your experience with the Mormon church influenced what you believe now? I actually went b- right back to being agnostic. Like, I personally don't believe there is a God, but, you know, you can't prove a negative. So I'm still trying to live as good as a life as possible but by my own rules and by what I think is right and not by what Joseph Smith thinks is right. And then as a follow-up, what is your social life like? Have you found a like replacement community that you once had with the Mormon community? Yeah, definitely. I'm, you know, since time has passed and I don't live at home anymore for a few years. I haven't lived at home for a few years. The bond with my family is also sort of healed. You know, my one of my siblings asked like all of us to go to family therapy, which has helped. I just really talking about the expectations that we had for each other and about each other and sort of to, to clear the air, to let that go. At university, I, I found great friends who I still talk to, but you know, because of the pandemic, it's all <laughs> different, of course. But yeah, I have been able to replace that community. What about work? What do you do for work now? Since the beginning of the pandemic, I started volunteering at one of uh, like the assisted living facilities, I guess you would call it. And I am planning on taking some classes and some courses to sort of go into that field. Wow. Oh, that's awesome. Well, you know what? We need medical professionals now more than ever. So I think that's just mm-hmm. really incredible that you are taking this step. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's what, what drew me yeah, to the facility in the first place. Because like, well, they really need people. So I just went there like, you know, I don't have any training, but can I help? And they were like, yeah, sure. Yeah, that's really? great. That's really great. Yeah. Wow. So I first think it was mostly just like walking, you know, walking around with the people who live there just taking them for a walk because I cannot do any medical things, of course, but when I walk with them or play games with them, then the actual nurses can do medical things. You need both. Yeah. Exactly. You're making a huge difference on those people as well. Yeah. 
So we always ask this question to our guests, but I'm wondering if you have any advice that you would like to share or any resources that you would like to share to someone who may be in a similar situation that you were in when you were in the Mormon church. I did discover like afterwards that there are great, and there's a subreddit, I think it's called ex-Mormon. They have a, a lot of information, a lot of support. There's a really supportive community there. For people who were in the church and left, they offer all sorts of resources to help you with leaving the church because I've heard that leaving the church, they can be very like harassing. Like I, the subreddit is full of people who left the church and then the church keeps sending missionaries to their door. Even when they move, they find out you've moved and then they will just send different missionaries to your door, keep harassing you. And they have great resources for if, if you're in that specifically for the mormon church i would say like keep asking questions ask yourself but also ask the people in the church why do they believe it why does it come from and then ask yourself do i believe this too do i agree with the source of the material do i truly believe this and also you know as a more harsher bit of advice get out don't get involved leave <laughs> But that's not always an immediate possibility for everyone. Martina, it has been amazing to talk to you. Like I am, I'm so happy that you are thriving in your life right now. And I just want to thank you for sharing your story with us. And even if it was only like one year of your life, it was, you know, so impactful. Like that is, those are the kinds of stories that we want to hear. Those slow boils that you don't even realize you're being indoctrinated. So yeah, so we're just, we're just so happy to have you on the show and so thankful for hearing your story and it's been great. Yeah, thank you for having me. It is very late in Belgium. So I mean, it's just past eight. It's not oh, late. Oh, okay. It's not super <laughs> late. Oh my gosh. I don't know if any sense of time. But we will let you go and we will talk to you soon. Yes. All right. Bye, Martina. Thank you. Bye. Thank you. Bye. Thanks for tuning into our podcast this week to celebrate Pride Month. If you like this episode, please leave us a rating or review wherever you listen to your podcast and follow us on Instagram at The Modesty Files for updates and bonus content. And if you're looking to hear more from our guests today, you can support us over on Patreon and get access to bonus segments from this week's episode. Special thanks to our female power squad, Allison, Caroline, Janelle, Savannah, and Sophie for helping us with this episode. If you'd like to get in touch with us, send an email to info at themodestyfiles.com. Thanks for listening. See you next week. I'm not ashamed of who I was, and I'm proud of who I will be, was scared to open up.